0: Um all right. Um so I, I got a question I'm thinking as I was starting today. So why are we here today? Why are we in this room? And there's churches all around the place and people are filling up those churches today. And why do we come out the church? Is it because we like to worship? Like to sing the songs? Is it because we come out because we're just compelled by our love for Christ to come out and be in fellowship? Is it because of the strength we get when we're in a community of believers, the strength we get from one another? Is it, um, we love to study the scriptures. There's a lot of reasons why we can be here, and I'm I'm wondering if the reason we aren't here, though, isn't kind of a conglomeration of all of those reasons of why we come out and worship on Sunday morning. And I think to an extent, um, and uh, get my notes going here, um, I think we're constantly looking for something in our life. We're looking for a perspective that answers the challenges and the adversity that we go through. I think, in fact, here's one way to say it. Think of, maybe this makes sense. We're looking for a perspective that can put our lives into perspective. I don't know if that's a good statement or not. If that's, I don't know if it's a gr- grammatically correct statement, but I think it's cool. We're looking for a perspective that can put our lives into perspective. We're looking for perspective on life. David Brooks, he's a New York Times, I believe it's the New York Times um, columnist. Here's a great quote from him. He says, uh, we live in a culture awash in talk about happiness. In one three-month period last year, more than 1,000 books were released on Amazon on that subject, happiness. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the past, they don't only, only talk about happiness. It is often the ordeals that seem most significant. People shoot for happiness but feel formed through suffering. And I think that is entirely true. We are our lives are filled with a lot of hardship and difficulty, every one of us in different ways. And the reality is while we want to live lives that are full of happiness. The truth is it is those times of adversity that really shape us and form us and really in some strange way bring us the most fulfillment and the most lasting joy because of the work they do in our life. Today we want to talk about one of Paul's uh, really grandest passages, maybe when he talks about his biggest challenge, and he talks about his thorn in the flesh. We're going to go there today and look at this thorn that Paul talked about in his flesh, and want us to stop and think this morning as we start, what is my thorn in the flesh? Can I identify in my own life a personal thorn in my flesh? Flesh. now how can i identify a thorn in my flesh if we think about what paul says well here's a question you can kind of a, a, kind of answer what is the adversity that exposes the weaknesses in my life personally what am i going through that as i go through this adversity as i as i confront this challenge it exposes the weaknesses that are within me and and i and it makes me feel weak what is that reality? Is there something potentially that maybe has me overwhelmed? Is there one thing that just really seems to overwhelm me today? And if you have your notes there, I left you a place. I want to be very intentional about you being able to write down, maybe this is my thorn in the flesh. And, and maybe you can't even think of a thorn in your flesh. And, uh, and then maybe you can think of two or three things that would be like a thorn in your in your flesh a thorn in the flesh you know when you think about that term it it's kinda like a phrase we might use as in someone who is a thorn in our side or a pain in our neck you know there are people like that and they're like a thorn in the flesh but even our thorn in the flesh does not have to be a relationship what is it what is the biggest threat right now to your peace and tranquility what is it that exposes how weak you truly are in the flesh now when we talk about our flesh in our weaknesses, we can talk, I often talk about our common flesh patterns, right? And Paul today is not gonna talk about his common flesh patterns. Those are the things like my fear and my doubt and my worry and my anger. And, and Paul's not gonna talk about those in a positive sense. He's talking about those weaknesses though that caused him to trust in God. It's kind of a tie-in. But, but, but not exactly, Paul's not actually gonna talk about those common flesh patterns, but those weaknesses exposed in his flesh that caused him to trust in God even more. Now, we started this new series last week called Enough. This is the series, and this series is based upon the sufficiency of Christ. I think back to all the things I've taught over the years, this is really, I think, a, a really key kind of teaching for our church here uh, that, that is so powerful because it, it just emphasizes something we readily emphasize all the time and that's the reality that Christ is sufficient, that Christ is our life. Our uh, mission statement here says it real clearly, glorifying God through authentic relationships that embrace and share the Christ life. And the reality is the core of who I am is Christ. The, the, the central way that I bring glory to God is through Christ in me. The, the way that I build authentic relationships with other people is through Christ in me. And we need to be about sharing and embracing the Christ life within us with uh, everyone around us, those who know Christ and those who don't. Christ went to the cross. He paid the price for our sin, but he also rose from the grave so that he could live within us. Give us the power over sin every day and he could be our sufficiency. Christ is our sufficiency. Christ as our life is enough. We need to know that. And as we go through this series, we'll try to look and see, are there ways in which Christ isn't enough in my life, or I think he isn't enough. This morning then, we're looking at Paul's ministry, and this passage where he talks about his biggest challenge that exposed his deepest weaknesses. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to jump right there and read Paul's testimony, 10 verses, and then we will kind of unpack this, but... Paul goes on, I must go on boasting, Paul says. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to th- the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into, the, into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So Paul heard some things, some revelations, probably saw some things. He just could not, he was not allowed to share them. Can you imagine if that was you? Okay, on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What an amazing, amazing passage. And here, again, Paul is, is gonna glory in his weaknesses. As I said, this isn't his common flesh patterns. He's not glorying in his worry and his fear and his doubt and his anger. But he's worrying in those things that, that caused him to, have to turn and fully trust in the power and the strength of god the father that's the reality the things that made him rely on the strength of christ here's our big idea today and i I just we're going to go through this and and look at paul's life the 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 message title grace under pressure and we're going to see that in paul's life here and the the big idea says it this way it's it's based on this idea of a conditional grace i was thinking this week there are um some promises in the Bible are kind of conditional. There's promises, but they're conditional. There's a grace here that's conditional. There is a peace and, a, and power, a grace under pressure that I only experience when I embrace my weaknesses. So God has a peace and power for us, but it's kind of contingent on my trusting Him, surrendering to Him, being obedient to Him. Um, there is a peace and power that's available to me, but that's the reality there. There is a sort of conditional... Grace. And so we want to look at that as we go forward and ask this question what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Well, three things I can tell you right out at the outset is that knowing the exact source of Paul's thorn is not that big of a deal. It's not the most important aspect of this passage. Secondly, though we don't know exactly what it is, I think we can make a pretty clear concu- conclusion by the time we're done at what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Number two. And um, number three there will be great value today even though we're going to look at three different options for his thorn in the flesh two of them i don't really think bear much merit but there will be value in identifying all three of them and i'll tell you why we'll see this as we go forward why we're looking at all three of these even though two of them probably aren't even relative to his thorn in the flesh first option and uh the one i remember growing up for years i always learned this that his thorn in the flesh was his physical eyesight um until I really studied it out and I started studying it out years ago and I'm thinking, I don't think that's his thorn in the flesh. But many people think it is. It's one of the ideas. That he had an illness or a disease. He had something like epilepsy that caused his bad eyesight. Um, some think that on the road to Damascus when he was struck down by that bright, shining glory of God that it affected his eyesight. And so that's where a lot of people get this theory. That uh, now, now Paul, for instance, one time writing to the Galatians, He said this, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So that's indicative of some kind of eye disease that um, he possibly could have had. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he did have. Um, In fact, Paul had a lot of other people write his letters for him. So, I mean, clearly there was something going on here. Um, There's another passage in, in Galatians where basically the Galatian people knew Paul had a struggle in this area, had such compassion on him. What does he say? He quotes, he says, um, I've got to find it here. He says, you were so compassionate towards me that you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. So uh, that's at one point in his relationship with the Galatians, that's where they were and he was kind of lamenting that they had lost that kind of closeness. But so evidently something was going on with Paul's eyesight. There was some kind of illness he struggled with but the question is was this his number one uh, thorn in the flesh I don't think it is there are other illness uh, people toss around did he have some mental health issues like depression maybe there's a couple of verses we read one today he despaired for his life well hey just because you have a bad day and you despair for your life in a shipwreck doesn't mean you have mental illness I'm sorry Um, that could be a stretch But um, this is just one of the theories that Paul felt with, or dealt with. Found this fascinating. Uh, When Handel wrote the Handel Chorus, uh, if you remember that, the great work, The Messiah, you know, his health and his fortunes had reached their lowest possible ebb. His right side was totally paralyzed. He was in great financial uh, struggles, heavily in debt, threatened with imprisonment. And he was tempted to give up. He really was. He almost gave up. The odds seemed stacked against him. And it was at that point in his life that he turned around and wrote, Handel's Messiah. Isn't that just mind-boggling? But again, it shows you what God does through us sometimes in our weakest times. And so Paul had, probably did have pot eye issues, but God still used him powerfully. So that's one theory. Here's the second theory that people put out and they say Paul's thorn in the flesh was, was a sexual temptation or by extension, any maybe fleshly temptation. Now, again, I don't believe this is is his thorn in the flesh, but it bears some weight looking at why people may say this, and there's some interesting thoughts here. Um, It doesn't get a lot of traction because there's not a lot of hard evidence that would say this is the case. But it does say a thorn was given me in the flesh. There's a couple words there, thorn and flesh, to kind of stop on for a minute. Um, Again, his flesh, we talked about this. Um, His flesh would refer to his physical body, I think but also it would also refer to those it could refer to those common flesh patterns that he struggled with that we all struggled with it, it was a thorn in the flesh so it's kind of like when you when you think about a temptation a temptation is an outward attack on us right eat that donut and it's an inward attack at the same time it's, it's, it's fighting us inside our, ourselves and so when you think about temptation in that sense, it can be an outward attack and an inward attack. And, and you can kind of see how someone might look at this and say he had a thorn in his flesh. And uh, you could look at this and think, well, maybe this is a temptation. Another, I found another great piece of um, commentary here. I might have put it on the screen, I did. Uh, Sam Storms, enjoying God, writes this. Just, just picture this thorn and, and how uh, this thorn is described to us. Uh, We begin by noting that the word translated thorn is found only here in the New Testament. In classical Greek, it was used with reference to a pointed stake on which the head of an enemy was impaled after decapitation, or in reference to spikes used to impede a siege force. More commonly, though, it simply referred to a splinter or thorn stuck in the body. Paul apparently envisions himself impaled by this affliction, pinned to the ground, as it were, and thus rendered helpless by it. This must have been an excruciating condition, whatever it was, for the man who willingly endured the sufferings and anguish and deprivations listed in 2 Corinthians 11 would not petition the Lord so strenuously for removal of some minor irritation that could be easily endured. And so you just get this picture of, you think of this thorn, and it was like, just picture a decapitated head nailed to the wall as, a, as as kind of a threat, I suppose, back in the day, and, and to show someone's uh, victory. Um, and here Paul has this thorn in his flesh. It's an excruciating thing. Again, I don't believe that Paul's thorn was a temptation or even a sexual temptation, but look at just... Consider some of this. Here's Paul. He is a divorced or widowed man. Being a former Pharisee, he would have had to have been married at one point. He's not married now. Paul certainly probably couldn't get married at this point. I mean, his lifestyle, his persecution, all the stuff he was going through, all the traveling he was doing, wouldn't really lead to being married. So I I don't believe, most people do not believe Paul was married at this point so you got this red-blooded passionate fiery man who's transforming the world with christ and uh, could he have struggled in this area it would be unlikely that he maybe didn't struggle in this area here's what it says in first corinthians 10 about uh, we think about temptation that This is a common and normal passion. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Any temptation you go through in your life, whatever it might be, just realize there are millions of other people that are facing that same temptation. There are lots of other Christians fighting that same battle, fighting that same internal struggle. Um, more specifically in regards to, uh, to a, a kind of a sexual temptation, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 7, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So there's just that reality, and I'm sure that Paul, in some senses, would have struggled with this to some degree. It certainly would have been an issue. And how do we handle this kind of burning passion? How do we handle temptations of any sort? Well, we've talked about uh, options like this before, but remember the verse back in 2 Corinthians 10. We have to stop it up here in the mind. This is really a key key verse here. Think about this. For though we walk in the flesh, there we are in our flesh again, and our flesh is being tempted, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Don't, Don't fight your temptation in the flesh with your flesh. In other words, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So don't battle temptation in your mind by having more willpower. Battle temptation in your mind by making it obedient to the mind of Christ. And that's maybe easier said than done, but we need to learn christ in me how do i operate through christ in me how do i go in those times of i'm tempted to be depressed or i'm tempted to be angry or i'm tempted in in lust or in some other way and i need to go and i need to find christ and i need to make that thought obedient to the mind of christ not just beat it through willpower because that usually is not very successful one thing i will say even if paul and he did struggle i'm sure with temptation in different ways one thing's absolutely clear the Apostle Paul, and he says this himself, never had a moral failure that disqualified him from the ministry. He makes that point to the Corinthians that he never disqualified himself from ministry. He said to Timothy at the end of his life that he had run the race and finished the course and fought the good fight. And um, he, he knew, if, if anyone knew what it would be to disqualify yourself from ministry, Paul would have known. And uh, he never did that. And just because we hear so many stories in the news all the time, sad stories, sad stories, in the news of people who disqualify themselves from the ministry in some way. And um, that's a sad reality. So, two options is he had an a, a, a eyesight problem, a vision problem, or he had some kind of temptation issue. And the third, and this is the thing that I think is his thorn in the flesh, it was spiritual opposition. It was a messenger, literally a messenger of Satan. We'll see as we unpack this. But I think this is the reality, and this is in keeping in the context of what he's writing here in 2 Corinthians 11 and uh, 12. In the whole context here feeds into that. Here it is again. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, It And I think of Paul's thorn in the f- flesh, I think about the constant opposition to his grandest mission and his greatest passion, which was sharing the gospel. And he had this, this picture of heaven, he saw the glory of heaven driving him, and it's just, I've got to get everybody I can to heaven, I've got to share the gospel, and in the face of all this, he faces this incredible opposition, this incredible even persecution. The reality is the gospel he was given to preach was not about him. It was about Christ. The gospel he was given to preach could not go forward by him, but only through the power of Christ. Here's how we understand the context here that this is probably speaking about his thorn being, his opposition and his persecution. First, it's the context if you go back to chapter 11. If you look at 11 and 12 together, you will find out that uh, Paul here is dealing with this context. In chapter 11, he's going through all those individuals who opposed him in the ministry, all the people that fought against him and all the hardships he endured. I can't read the whole chapter again, but here's a snapshot, just a few verses. We have the context in chapter 11 of his opposition and his persecution, and he spells it out for us like this. Uh, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. So Paul's kind of in a contest with these other, uh, those that oppose him. Not a good word, but he's in kind of a contest. Well, I'm going to boast too. And, And listen to how he boasts. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And Paul goes on and on and on about all the persecution, all the opposition, everything he faced. At the hands of these people and he's identifying here those he called them super apostles kind of in a mocking way but they were fellow jews those who professed to believe in god and yet they were still pushing the law and they were still pushing back and they were still threatening paul's life and so you see the context here and when i think of paul's thorn in the flesh i think it's clear that what he's dealing with here is not a physical ailment like poor vision or some kind of temptation he is talking about the opposition and persecution that he was dealing with in the ministry. The only temptation he was remotely dealing with at this point was probably pride. And he's, he's kind of boastful there, but he says I'm boasting in a crazy way. I got whipped more than they did. I got beaten. I was almost killed more often than they were. And that's what he could boast in. Uh, the next contest is, is the context of his boasting because he's boasting there in chapter 11 in a kind of a crazy way. But then in chapter 12 he says, you know what? hey, I could boast. I saw things no one else ever saw. I saw things that God himself told me I could not tell anybody about. And then he goes on and explains, and that's why I've got this thorn in the flesh. I've got this thorn in the flesh so I don't get proud by the things that I have seen. And so he's boasting in the trials he encountered, the opposition he endured, the persecution he suffered. And... um, and he's being kept humble as he boasts in these calamities and in these weaknesses. And he is not boasting in himself, but he's boasting in his God. That's the reality. The next contest is the, is the context of his weaknesses. If you go to chapters 11 and 12, the end of chapter 11, here's what he says. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. says the same thing in chapter 12 goes right on and says the exact same thing Um, paul's whole focus here is on the persecution and the opposition that he faced in the ministry those things that revealed his weaknesses now this is where we can define the thorn a little more specifically for ourselves because here's the question was paul's thorn the opposition and persecution was paul's thorn the suffering he went through Was Paul's thorn those individuals, those super apostles, he called them, that inflicted the suffering? Or maybe was his thorn the enemy that stirred up the opposition against him? Think about it that way, okay? So there's trials and persecutions. There's being shipwrecked and being beaten. And is that his thorn, the physical pain? Is his thorn the individuals that that whipped him and beat him and did all that stuff to him? Or is the thorn actually the enemy that's provoking these people to go out and rise, them, rise up against Paul and his ministry. And I think that's the ultimate ministry, or the ultimate, uh, excuse me, thorn here, is the enemy. And it, it ultimately is, is traced all the way back to Satan. And that's the last context here, the context of his enemy and his adversaries. Let me show you something really fascinating that will answer the question for us here. If we look in chapter 12, verse 7, here's what it says. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. It sounds like his thorn was a messenger of Satan, whatever that would be. And he was attacking Paul specifically and opposing Paul's ministry. But go back to 2 Corinthians 11 and look at this. Here's what he says. For for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness their end will correspond to their deeds here's the thing the angel of light exact same Greek word angel is used for a messenger in chapter 12 verse 7 a messenger sent to harass me the angel of light in chapter 11 is the messenger of Satan in verse 12 or chapter 12 and I think it's obvious that Paul's thorn in the flesh was probably specifically some demon that came and went around and stirred people up against Paul. Now, the, the, the issue you deal with here, yes, this is the question that gets asked, well, where did, the, where did this thorn come from? Didn't this thorn come from God to humble Paul? Why would God send a saint, send a, you know, a demon after Paul? Does that make sense? Yeah, it works like this. It works just like with Job. And it works just like with christ remember job uh, back in the days of job satan went to god and said hey i want to test job and so god let satan come and test job and satan's got a goal for job he wants to destroy his faith god has a goal for job he wants to strengthen his faith same thing is happening there's two different goals When Christ went to the cross, Satan put Christ on the cross to do what? To end God's redemptive plan, to destroy it. What did God want? God wanted to put Christ on the cross and do what? Fulfill his redemptive plan and save mankind. And in this situation, here's here's this demon coming. He's thwarting Paul. He wants to attack Paul. He wants to stop what? The spread of the gospel. What does God come along and do? God says, I need to humble Paul so I can advance the spread of the gospel. Because if Paul gets too haughty, if Paul gets too pride, too proud, you know, it'll, it'll hinder the gospel. And Paul saw some amazing things. And so that's kind of how it works, that God and Satan sometimes do the same thing, and they have two entirely different reasons. Now think about this, because I ran across a verse. I just thought this was so cool. Think about this so here's Paul and Paul says this to the Romans one time he says this for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us so here's Paul think about Paul and Paul goes through all these hardships he mentioned them right there in chapter 11 and he's whipped and he's stoned and he's left for dead and he just is is beaten continually and persecuted and opposed and he's got a demon after him and he goes through all of that and then Paul steps back and says, but you know what? Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I saw in heaven, (laughs) nothing compares to that. Nothing. No matter what I go through on earth, I saw things in heaven. Hey, nothing gonna compare to that and someday, that's mine. And, and for you and I, what does that say for you and I in our struggles and our adversity and our trials to know that someday there, there is something far greater awaiting us? We haven't seen it like Paul, but it's there. But here's the reality this passage isn't about someday, is it? This passage isn't about someday there's something greater than the struggles I'm going through. This passage is about three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness. There's something even better in the here and now when you're going through your adversity and your trials and your struggles it is the grace of God. It's it's just this, this incredible conditional grace of peace and power and victory and joy that's ours if we just surrender and trust him in the middle of whatever we're going through. Wow, that is just some really good, powerful stuff there to stop and to weigh out and to consider. Okay, four points of personal application here. We'll wrap up. Four points. Paul had one thorn in his flesh, but he experienced all three issues. Just notice that. The reason I went through the extent of identifying three different theories, even though two of them probably weren't his thorn in the flesh, is that Paul dealt with all three of those issues. One of them, he said, This is my thorn in the flesh. But all three of them were issues that he dealt with. He dealt with his physical uh, struggles. He, he dealt, uh, I'm, struck, I'm struck by this. Look what he says. 1 Corinthians 11. He goes through all the listing of all the things the super apostles did to him. Listen to what he says here. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to fall and I am not in Dignant. You know, I think about that. I think all that Paul went through physically and then he had this kind of this emotional burden, this kind of spiritual burden for all the churches he had started and all the people that he had led to Christ and like a father for a child that just weighed on him. I'm gonna tell you something that you, you probably can't quite capture this and I don't understand it myself, but there is, there is a burden and there is a passion that a pastor has for a church and for the people in his church. It's just there, and you can't describe it. And it's kind of like when God calls you into the ministry, it just kind of comes with the territory. And I thought about that, I think, so many times. And I think when you get those pastors that come to the end, and they just get out of the ministry and leave, I think they just can't handle that anxiety. More than anything, it's that anxiety. They can't handle it. And I I say this, and I I don't want this to sound judgmental, but but I'm going to say it (laughs) anyway. I think about all the people I've known over the years that stepped out of the ministry because, you know, it got tough and they stepped out. And then I'm, I'm taken to a passage like this and I think, how can we quit? I mean, look what Paul went through. Look what Paul went through. Paul didn't quit. Paul didn't say, oh, this is too tough. And he hung in there. I just think it's so fascinating to stop and to weigh that out. All that Paul went through, he had one thorn, but he dealt with all these issues. He dealt with the emotional burdens, and he dealt with physical temptations. And sometimes, look at what Paul says here about his physical temptations. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good so now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh for I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out for I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing Paul did Paul struggle with temptation oh yeah did Paul fall on his face sometimes yeah He was human. And I think it's amazing that here's one who went and saw the glory of heaven and saw the glory of those surpassing revelations and yet he's back here in his earthly flesh suit struggling at times to bite his tongue and not get angry and and bite, you know, whatever his temptations or whatever he battled with. It's an amazing thing. Um, Just an an amazing reality. Uh, Second Second point here. Paul dealt with all three of these issues, but they didn't overwhelm him. I think that's really key. There were times he despaired for his life. He went through moments, we all do, but he didn't let them overwhelm him. He didn't chuck it in and get out of the ministry and say, This is too much for me. I've had too many whips, too many beats, you know. He didn't let the issues all overwhelm him. And I have one piece of advice. I might have shared this before. But in our life, deal with issues and challenges individually. So if on your notes you put down, you know, this is my thorn in the flesh and this is my second and my third, whatever, you know, if you, if you identified three different things on your handout, learn to deal with things one at a time. Isolate them, deal with them individually so they don't overwhelm you. For example, Philippians 4.6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests, plural, be known to God. Bring them to God one at a time. Say, Lord, I need you to help me in this area. I need you to help me at work. Lord, I need you to help me right here in my, you know, financial struggle. Lord, I need you to help me over here, you know, in this area. Whatever, and identify those areas and pray about them and work them through. Another example, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. God won't just make your path straight, but your paths, in plural. As you look at things individually, he'll make your path at work straight. He'll make your path at home and in your finances straight. He'll make your path, you know, wherever it might be. He'll help you deal with those issues as you take them one at a time. If you're battling an illness, if you're battling an emotional issue, if you're battling a temptation of some kind, take them one at a time, and God will give you the victory over them as you deal with them one by one. Third, God's grace was enough, it was sufficient in every situation for Paul, and just know that. We deal with all three of these issues to show you that God's grace was enough in his bad eyesight, God's grace was enough in the temptations he might have endured, and God's grace was enough, yes, with his thorn in the flesh. Uh, when you think about it this way, grace in a physical illness equals comfort and purpose in pain. Second Corinthians chapter 1, read it today. If you battle in some, if you're struggling with something today, that's the passage we read it at, at the outset uh, earlier in worship, but That'll, that'll speak to that comfort and purpose we can find in pain. Um, grace in a fleshly temptation simply is this, is that God provides a way out. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape so you can endure it. God will provide a way out. His grace will provide a way out of that temptation. And If, like Paul, sometimes you fall on your face and do what you don't want to do and you do what you hate to do, grace in a fleshly temptation is that God does not condemn us in. Wretched man that I am, said Paul, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that I myself serve the law of God with my mind but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. No condemnation to those who are in Christ. Just know that. Just revel in that today. The grace of God at work in our life. God's grace was enough in every situation. And then finally, um, (coughs) finally, Grace in a spiritual attack. When you think about Paul's, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. When Paul, uh, just thinking about, oh, I didn't put it on here. Grace in a um, fleshly attack in his thorn in the flesh. Again, basically, God's grace is enough. It looks like strength and peace and it looks like contentment. Okay, number four, Paul speaks with some ambiguity here about his thorn and he does that for a couple, two reasons really, not three, but Two reasons. Uh, He wants you, whatever might be going on in your life, He wants you to be able to insert that, the the idea of a thorn into your own life. So maybe your issue isn't opposition and persecution from a demon, but whatever you say, this is the thorn, this is the thing I prayed about repeatedly and just won't be taken from me. God wants you to take that and put your own situation into this story today to identify your own thorn um, and not limited to whatever Paul was going through. That's one of the reasons. And um, so we will insert whatever our own thorn might be. And then uh, the other reason here is that God wants us to know that, that God's grace, that Christ's life is sufficient in every area of our life. He wants us to know in every area of your life, whatever you're going through, his grace, the life of Christ is enough. It is sufficient to carry us through Whatever struggles we are facing. Today's response, if you have a thorn, is it presently an illness, a temptation, an emotional burden, a relationship, a spiritual attack, or is there something else you're dealing with? How can you identify what your thorn in the flesh currently is? And then do you understand the conditional grace here, that if you trust God, He will be enough? That's the, if I trust God and surrender to God, he will be enough, enough peace, enough strength to see me through. And do you feel overwhelmed by your life as your struggles and challenges get intertwined? What do you need to, right now in your life, what do you need to isolate, deal with individually so that you can come up with a solution and an answer and not be overwhelmed by what you're going through? And finally, in what ways or areas do you need God's sufficiency to be real in your life? this morning what Let me leave you with this two years ago Chris Downey had just started a promising architecture job at a successful design firm a few weeks after he took the job he noticed that there was something wrong with his vision the doctors told him he had a tumor wrapped around his optic nerve which required immediate surgery after the surgery he could see with blurred sight five days later everything went dark Downey had become permanently blind. Downey tried to maintain his architecture work, but he couldn't read the plans or use the design software. Initially, Downey's limitations jeopardized his job, until he found a blind computer scientist who had devised a way to read tactile architecture plans. Much to his surprise, Downey discovered that his blindness actually gave him a unique way to observe interior spaces not with his eyes, but with his fingers. As one of the company vice presidents would later say, at first I thought, okay, this is going to be a limitation. But then I realized that the way he reads drawings is the way we experience space. Downey is now able to use his fingers to walk through a space and view it from a different different and sometimes a better perspective. Due to his blindness, he can also envision new possibilities for the creative use of space. As a result, his limitations or weaknesses have become gifts and strengths, not only for himself, but also for his community. Let me just encourage you today to give your weaknesses to God, to give those limitations you have to God, those things that you think hold you back. Give them to God, and God will uh, work in your ways, in your, work in your life in ways that you could never imagine. Um, Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that um, your grace is enough. And I, I pray right now across the room. I don't know what everybody's going through in this room today. I don't know what battles they're facing. I don't know what thorns are pressing into their flesh. But I pray for every single person here, Lord, that Lord, your comfort and your grace would be real to them. I pray that you'll really take uh, some of these scriptures today and just bring them alive within them throughout the week, that they would know that you are indeed sufficient, that you are all that they need, that you are more than enough. And encourage them as as they walk through this, as they battle with this thorn, help them identify the things they're battling and, and then know to find their grace and their hope in you. Encourage us all this morning from gathering together. Send us home renewed with your Holy Spirit to face the week ahead, all for your glory um, and your glory alone. And um, give you all the honor and glory and praise. And everyone said, amen.